Hi, I'm Shauna Lutker. And I'm Mario Antiveros. I'm an artist and executive director of the nonprofit publisher of Extra. And I'm an art historian in the Department of Art at Cal State University Northridge and an editor at Extra. Today, we'll hear more from the brilliant Now Bustamante, Todd Gray, Galari Koshkozarin, and Jennifer Moon. We're calling this episode Superpowers and Guiding Principles, Defining What You Want. The artists pick up their conversation from the last episode and discuss strategies for securing and sustaining what they need to make their work. They share more of their formative artistic and professional experiences and how they navigate struggle and success. Mm, yeah, for example, Todd Gray's grappling with whether or not he should pull his work from the 2019 Whitney Biennial. They also discuss the economic and pedagogical challenges of working with emerging artists and MFA programs today. Yeah, I mean, Jennifer Moon asks, how do we ethically teach sustainability when those same students we are teaching are taking on debt and sustaining us? Yeah, she also enlightens us with her strategy of scrooging. <laughs> when, when you listen to the podcast, you'll get it. <laughs> and Todd Gray tells us about the importance of actually writing down your long and short-term goals. He says, it's important to really define what it is we want to sustain. And that is an individual question, and that is really pivotal. Yes, you have to define what you want in order to manifest it. We want you to know that this session was recorded back in December 2019. It's only been six months, but it feels like a day less than eternity. But this conversation remains relevant. It might even be more relevant now. The pandemic, the protests, the failures of the government, the police violence, all of this has shed more light on the intersection of inequity, systemic racism, and injustice that compels the work of these artists. You can find more information about the series, the artists, and their work on Extra's website at extraonline.org. I mean, I, the questions that I have are basically stuff that we've talked about uh, or that we I brought up about, like, you know, like, how do we ethically teach sustainability within fine arts specifically when those same students whom, like, we're getting, like, who have depth, like, sustain us? Um, I don't know, just, like, how to, how to, how, like, what are we teaching, I guess, or, like, how do we um, talk about sustainability with students? The second one was like, you know, like how do we, how can we offer alternatives to the predetermined outcomes of art, which is what we talked about other. And my last one is who wants to pull off the greatest con ever? Operation Scrooge. <laughs> Operation Scrooge. <laughs> Call me. 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 <laughs> you know, I think I would maybe add to, you know, Jennifer's question around sustainability, which is sort of the idea of, you know, how can we talk about sustainability in the framework of these, you know, programs and debt and institution while at the same time maintaining a kind of bubble around our own practice and helping our students maintain that bubble. And it's interesting because the, you know, within, you have to be able to do multiple things, obviously, to, you know, sustain yourself as an artist. But that idea of, you know, seeing what's happening being open to what's happening, but also containing the framework in which you work seems to be really crucial to me. So like, you know, setting the stage or the mise-en-scene or whatever you want to call it, that space, the studio, your own mind, you know, the frameworks by which you can accomplish things or get things done. 
And I don't even mean production. I just mean like you don't feel static. Yeah. Or you Not don't. Not losing the faith. Right. Yeah. You know, so I guess it's just kind of that the second part of your question, you know, which is sort of how can we talk about sustainability in these things with our students and with us while maintaining our own kind of stasis or our own way of working. Yeah, it's so good, I love that. I, I think it's so important to really define what it is we want to sustain. Mm -hmm. And that's an individual question. Yes. And so that's really pivotal, pivot, pivotable. Yeah, and that goes back to sort of the prioritizing. And right? I've, I found for my, what's helped me and what I've passed along to my students is to do a plan and imagine where do you want to be in 10 years? Where do you want the work to be in 10 years? Where do you want to, and then where do you want to, the, to be in five years? Where do you want the work to be in five years? To really get a clear impression of that um, to the point where you can see it, where you can sense it, and you can describe it. And, and then once you have that kind of clarity, then you need to write it down. Because I found out to have long-term goals puts you in a direction and it allows you to separate the wheat from the chaff so, because the level of distraction is so intense in this culture, one really must be clear about what you're doing, what you want. However, once you've established what you're doing, what you want, you've got to ask the most, impress, um, um, uh, the, the most important question, why? Yeah, mm -hmm. that's what it's gonna, the, the guiding principles. That's what I feel like is most important for me to like write down what my core values are, like my mm -hmm. guiding principles that will inform every decision that I make. Right. You know? And then it's really, because in the why, you have to, I had to ask myself so many questions to realize, is that the impression that I have from my parents? Is that what's motivating me? Is that the feedback and the um, uh, encouragement I'm getting from culture is to do this? Is that quote unquote my idea of what success is? You have to ask, there's so many layers of onions you have to peel back to get to the core why. And then when you find what, what that why is, what that why is, or those whys are, I should say, the multiple reasons for that to motivate you and push you, is that really what I want? Is that really who I am? Does that reflect my definition of self? And then you have to peel that onion. How do I define myself? And where does that, def it's an ongoing process of questioning. And Sounds feelings. exhausting. And feelings, and that's where the trauma comes in too. <laughs> but it, it's, yeah. for, for me, it's been really, yeah. really critical mm -hmm. and it doesn't stop. It's, on yeah. go, it's ongoing because mm -hmm. I don't want to find out five years later when I look back, that's not what I wanted. How the hell did I get here? Mm -hmm. What did I put my energy there? Yes. And, you, and it's, a, it's a, a system of navigation because then mm -hmm. you ask those questions along the way and, and give yourself permission to change course because you've mm -hmm. changed the situations. The situation's changed. Right. Because mm -hmm. I'm not, you know, 18 anymore and those desires aren't uh, the same and, and applicable. What are your core where? values? Do you have like five principles? I do this assignment with my kids about like five, the four or five principles, guiding principles or like your superpowers or what you need to be present in a situation for you to feel like you can show yourself. I need to be true to myself and understand if I am not, why I'm compromising something and be really clear and that I'm not being self-delusional 
I need to help people. I mean, I really need, because I'm so privileged, um, it would be, I, I would have a very poor um, idea of, of my core uh, definition if I'm not helping people. So that means I need to participate in a community in some way, shape, or form. Mm -hmm. And that's pretty, pr pretty much where I'm, where I'm coming from. And so I, I, I think about the Astor Gates, I think of Mark Bradford and others that, and so I'm saying, hey, you know what, if I do get mega mega, then there's a huge responsibility of me to share that mega mega and help. So the whole idea, especially being a black person, once you get to a certain point, I've been taught, once you get to a certain point, you reach back and you help the next person. Mm -hmm. And that's the core belief of my upbringing. Mm -hmm. So that, I, that, that's never compromised because that's hardwired in my head. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So having said that, I think residencies are really good and uh, students or young people, all of us as artists should participate. I mean, it's the benefit of residencies are just uh, mind-blowing. Not to be distracted, to have a constant community and feedback of what you're doing. And those that don't get a residency, start your own. Start your own by blocking out time. Have a core group of people that come by where you can give each other feedback. There's so many uh, models that you can actually invent on your own on a micro level mm. if you haven't gotten to the point um, that you are participating on those really uh, larger ones that exist today outside of Los Angeles, outside of the country, and so forth. So. That's a great idea mm -hmm. and a real like truth, which is just like, you know, the do it yourself, uh, do it for others, and you know, do it together. Just you know. I think that's wonderful. It's a great idea. And now I'm going to give up the mic after I say this, this Oprah Winfrey moment. I've always wanted to be in the Whitney Biennial. I've always wanted to have representation. I've always, there's been a laundry list. I've always wanted a Guggenheim, all these things. I, just by clarifying that, it, they sort of came about on their own and they keep surprising me. Um, of course, it took 40 years to, <laughs> for it to happen. <laughs> I'd have preferred for it to happen in my 30s, but it happened in my 60s. So uh, to keep making, but to be clear, so that I, I think I didn't get to this point by chance. I think I got to this point because I was clear about it in my head. Mm. And what is this point? This point is just here we are in a room right now. That's the mm. only point there is. Yes. Can I ask you something about, like, earlier on you were saying, like, how in the beginning of your, like, graduating and then being picked up by gallerists and stuff, and then, like, kind of, like, being like, oh, I don't want this, but then yeah. coming back to it. I feel like, do you feel like, I mean, it's for everyone that, like, that's still what, um, you know, like, art students are expecting? Oh, they want to be stars. Everybody right. wants to, I want I mean, to be a star. I mean, I had a similar thing where, mm -hmm. like, I, I went to school in the 90s right after you graduated, and it was still, like, gallerists were still looking at, like, the undergrads and the graduates and, like, pulling the students in to have shows, and then that's what I wanted, and then, like, I'm disillusioned by that, and then drugs. I'm, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm, but, very, I'm very sober right now in, in, in as much as I know this is a moment for um, black art, it's a moment for African art, diasporic art, and in his, history just shows these tides of interest by curators, institutions, collectors move and change. So I don't know if this moment will be sustained or not. Mm -hmm. And so I'm very sober in saying and keeping my concentration on the making, the the work, you know, feeding back, and. Uh, 
uh, knowing that the, the bounty that I have can easily go, which means I cannot put my ultimate value on the uh, institute, on the outcomes from the work. You know, that this, this, it's been collected, it's shown at this institution, that ultimately I keep reminding myself it's what I do in the studio and the feedback is the work singing. And so that, that, that has to sustain me. And that's what, that's, so that's a core value, mm. that I don't misplace what is valuable about the work. And so A, it's connecting to me, and then B, it's connecting to others. And then the others, all the rest of the stuff, it's just providing a platform to get it out there. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, it's very helpful to hear all of this in this room, because I think my dilemma sometimes is what to do in those 40 years two years, six months of anxiety when you know that it goes up and down, you know, mm -hmm. depending on your movement, it's just this, it has this wave that it goes up and down. But when you're really low, how do you sustain yourself, like mentally? Like, how do you tell yourself? It's almost like the earth moving, you don't feel it. You know it's moving, but you need the index of it. So in those moments, to me, it's when there's a void and when I don't have... Um, a community or a group of people to talk to that gets really difficult but the way to sustain it's almost like you have this bouncy thing on the floor you fall back and it like pushes you up a little bit and you keep moving mm -hmm. we've had moments like that together but that helped talking to you <laughs> exactly exactly yeah. and had we talked before that moment it could have had a different result yes as history has shown but yeah, I think that's that's why, you know, a lot of I think the things that are really toxic in the art world these days is the, is the amount of secrecy and yes. the myth, but also truth of scarcity that you need. It's your game. You got to do it no matter at what cost. So that's why for me, it's really important to ask at what cost. Mm -hmm. And this thing that's benefiting me, who is it harming, yeah, yeah. Um, if anyone? And where do I choose where to keep move forward, moving forward and where to take a step back or pause or? Well, you do the, yeah, because you reach out. We were talking about like a specific award that we were both like up for. And you reached out to all the people who were the finalists and like started a text exchange. And I thought that was like so, like, you know how you're saying like if we talked before, it could mm -hmm. have been different. Like that, that was like a move that I see on your part to like initiate that potential to change the way in which like, us five were maybe relating to that specific award. Were you thinking about that when you were like reaching out? Well, when I saw the uh, Pulitzer Prize, uh -huh. I thought that was it Pulitzer, the last one, the Tape? the one that they split the grant. It was the, oh, was the Pulitzer Prize. It was London. The Turner. 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 Oh, Turner. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that was, a, that was a really refreshing moment, I think. Yeah. I mean, at the end of the day, yes, there's still competition. These people got nominated. They, the way that they got to where they are, you know, they had a lot of social capital and the galleries who were behind them or whoever supported them. But, but still, that moment was really beautiful and inspiring to me that, you know, like, you thought about this thing and you did reach out. Mm -hmm. And even if the result was that, no, someone decided not to share the grant or, you know... Still, that I think, yeah, like those text thread, like it was so also heartwarming to me to read that, like Lawrence Abu, Abu Hamdan or one of them was saying that we had a WhatsApp group called the finalists or something, and like there were a lot of exchanges on that. Like I've had those moments, like not in that scale, much smaller, but those moments were really fun. Yeah, and we were talking about that. We were talking about splitting it 
you know, like, and that was like, whoever won, we would split it, you know. Which didn't push through. Yeah. <laughs> well, there are some people who were not. Part of it. Yeah. But yeah. Yeah. But I think it was also a different context, different mm-hmm. scale, amount, all of that. But, but that um, shift is like, I yeah. think what you're talking about, like, so yeah. important and really effective, you know. And like, to have that WhatsApp group or, or like group of people where you're like, when you're really low, you also talk to another person and you're like, you know, it's not just me. Like, we're all going through this. Yeah. And it's hard to keep reminding yourself that, again, like the projected image of someone outside is not exactly the whole truth. It's just a part of it. Amen. And, <laughs> and you just need to keep going and not get distracted for years and years and like be true to your principles. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What are your principles or core values, Jennifer? Um, it's uh, <laughs> honesty, <laughs> honesty, uh, adventure. Um, Is pleasure somewhere there? Well, adventure could be part of it. I haven't written okay, honesty, adventure, and then I think connection and like creation or something. I don't know. I, I, it, it's just like a, it has to go in that order. Like, and it's just like a way for me to like to open up and, I, and it, it had I figured this out because I had a fight with my friend who I was like resisting to like because I was like that, that person's wrong you're wrong and so I had to like really be honest with my part in it which the, and then I have to approach like situations that are difficult or maybe um, like with a, a spirit of, of adventure so that I can like you know make connections um, and then together like we like create some some other kind of uh, different way of relating to each other but how do you te- like how do you test those what's true to you? Oh, yeah. I mean, how do you know what's true? Like what is it you you said you talked you said something about a question ongoing questioning. Mm-hmm. How do I know what's true uh, by sitting with it? Act, actually just formulating the question helps because you know how it feels. And if you shy away from it, if there's an element of fear, if it evokes insecurity, uncertainty, there are physical um, nervous system biofeedback systems <laughs> that let you uh, uh, gauge if, how, how true something is or, or not. So I think at one point you'd also said that you questioned whether it was just an ideal passed down to you from your right. parents or something. So that idea of, you know, even if you're having this kind of response, a visceral response to something, it's sort of like, why am I having this, mm-hmm. c- continuing that question? Yeah, it's, okay, I'm going to just go brass tacks. Let's hear it. Uh, <laughs> you know, I've, I've shown years and years and years, never sold crap. And it's only in the last four years I started selling. The first three sales out of my first show is like, wow, wow, I mean, somebody actually, you know, I mean, euphoria, euphoria. Then each subsequent sale, the euphoria diminishes, diminishes, diminishes. And my studio practice basically is the same. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And um, it, yes, I can put some things in the bank, but it really, it's, it's an abstraction now. Mm-hmm. And it's really weird because I, it does not motivate me, whereas before I thought the sales was really significant. I totally drank the Kool-Aid, totally, totally dr- drank the Kool-Aid. And now it's just, a thing that happens with the work once it goes out at this place. And if it doesn't sell, it doesn't sell. I'm still going to pay the rent. This is still going to happen. But what I'm a little, a little 
then it made me question, well, then why, why was there all this euphoria at the beginning for this sale? Where, what was that about? Then yeah. if it's really true, why hasn't it sustained itself? Mm -hmm. And that's when I realized, oh, this is, a, this is just what I have inherited from the culture, that when you sell a piece of artwork, you're supposed to feel fantastic and great. But the payoff isn't the sale. The payoff isn't the one-person show. Once again, I understand the payoff is me recognizing the quality of work in, on the wall in the studio. Yeah, and you're talking about like a relationship to feelings, like being, you know, like de learning that relationship and, and, and like being able to sit with the feelings. Yeah. And like the feelings leading often will lead, at least for me, to a belief that kind of like created the feeling in the first place through like a collision of like my belief system and what's hap what is happening at the moment. And then it, it has like an emotional reaction. And then like I am able, like the longer I am able to like, sit with feelings and stuff, then I, it, like, I can decipher, at least. Like, if it's coming from trauma, is it, like, this, like, you know, uh, I don't know, something that feels, like, connective? Mm. Um, is it this other thing, you know? like. Well, for me, on a psychoanalytical level, I am deeply embarrassed when people compliment me about, hey, Todd, this is happening, you're having such a great year, blah, blah, blah. I lower my head involuntarily, I lower my gaze, and I say, thank you, thank you, but I don't encourage this conversation. And I, and I now I'm really examining what's, why am I owning it? I'm not, you know, puffing up my chest, but just keeping my head straight ahead and meeting eye contact and just owning it because that's the reality. And there's a bit uh, of guilt there's a bit shame. of shame. Yeah, shame. <laughs> <laughs> Todd, that's a great realization. <laughs> well, you know, it's always good to practice taking in, you know, when someone gives you credit or compliment, just to say, thank you, I'm going to take that, I'm going to take it in, because I think sometimes for me, sometimes that's all I have is acknowledgement from my peers. Mm -hmm. So... You know, talk about sustaining, you know, what can you, what can you live off of? What can you, what can you chew mm. on? You know, so sometimes that's all I have. So I have to really, I have to really stretch those out. Yeah. Well, so-and-so said they really liked the yeah, And it's, it's a deep <laughs> gratitude, too, you know, like an honest, sincere gratitude mm -hmm. for like, you know, even being in someone's, you know, the, the periphery or something, you know, like it's, yeah. it's an honor. But to go back to kind of what you're saying, like I like would be like, like really interested in like delving into like your feelings of like self-worth and like. It goes to that. And <laughs> yeah. I think it goes somewhere about mental colonialism. It goes somewhere yeah. about blackness. Does that person think because of this moment that really the work isn't as valuable culturally and it's because it is about blackness and blackness is a moment at this point. Oh, F that person, whoever thinks no, that. No, I mean, I'm, but saying, it's, but I'm it's, saying that yeah, those, but those are, but those, are, those are the noises. Yeah, yeah. and to, to yeah. honor, like, you know, to listen to it, you know, to be able to disentangle it. Like, right. for me, it is like, it is like, like, these kind of larger systems. I mean, all different kind of systems, but also familial for me, you know, mm -hmm. and like how being able to like see like which thread they're coming from and like and, and they're but they're like friends you know <laughs> even though they don't seem like friends because they like hurt and they feel bad but like befriending that is like also a way of like disentangling from it being through your body you know mm. and, and then your body becoming a vehicle to like perpetuate those colonial it's total pieces. yes yes yeah. yes those internalized narratives yeah. that I'm still dealing with those internalized narratives yeah mm -hmm. yeah
Well, the, and they are just internalized narratives. They're not necessarily who you are, you know, unless you decide that they are who you are. I think um, so often we have to just remember, or this is something that I try to give to my students, which is no one can take your power away from you. You know, you have your own power. You have your own expression. You have, you're, you're your own person. And even if, you know, somebody is ranking higher than you or has more perceived power in the world, they still can't take what you have. And I think that that's really important to, to go through the world with that idea because, you know, so many people get power by taking it from others. Mm. Mm. And so the more we can hang on to that aspect of ourselves, you know, that we have our own power, I think it can be, you know, the more that we can have our voice also. And I think that that can, you know, continue to translate into our making, I hope. I think, I know I've said, and I've gone on record, that the highest high is recognizing the work when it sings on the wall. Mm-hmm. I've got to say that the second highest or equal is when another viewer comes up to me and expresses how they connected to the work. Because mm-hmm. then I said, my job, that's a success. I did it. I yeah. did it, yeah. Yeah, truly. I think the, uh, I like now your comment about remembering that, but each of you at the beginning all talked about, and I think the word fraudulent came up, almost every person echoed that. Wow. And, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. And so, <laughs> so in coming back to that, I feel that that's, that's the flip side, is that that internalization of that, it can be really daunting mm-hmm. because I don't know how to overcome that. If I mean, but each of you had expressed that mm-hmm. in some way. I got to say, just last week in the kitchen, I said, I'm finally a real artist now. <laughs> I swear to God, mm-hmm. I'm in the kitchen in the middle of the night because I've compared myself to some painters sure. who, who hit it seven yeah. days a week and no time I can't come by, I'm going to the studio. I'm not that kind of artist. I mean, I don't hit it seven days a week, 24 hours a day. And then I thought, you know, Todd, I think... Yeah, you can actually say you are an artist. I mean, and I just thought, motherfucker. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I mean, that's like this insidious part of all like these systems that we're in is like, when you're talking about the colonization of mind, it's like the body. It's like the body being, because like conceptually, like we all can like understand how these systems of oppression work and stuff like that, but how it sits in the body and like being unable to shake that feeling of like Mm. unworthiness or being fraudulent is like really difficult. Mm. Yeah. But I think that's why we need more of talking about the different ways that we're artists Mm. so that it's not that just because my studio doesn't look a certain way or if I don't clock in and clock out, I'm not officially an artist, you know. Totally. So that, you know, like I've written about this. My art practice is sometimes when I'm sitting on the bus, bus staring out the window. That's where like I'm thinking and I'm processing. Mm-hmm. I may go in the studio and do nothing, just listen to music and walk out. So I don't need the contained space to practice. And that's why I think I actually need jobs or I need to be out. Like even though my practice is not social in any way, shape or form, but I think when I'm in relation to other people, and that's why I, I think teaching is feeding my art practice because I have encounters with people Mm. and those like a very diverse group of people and some younger, some older, some more experienced, some less experienced, you know, with different life experiences and like languages and, you know, cultures and whatever. So that is a part of 
my studio day, maybe, this conversation that I had with this administrative person at this institution. But then that kind of like leads into thinking about something differently and then I go and like, I go down like a rabbit hole about that and then the next day it means something else in the studio. So that's why I don't believe in these myths or definitions of like, this is how you behave as an artist. Mm. This is what makes you a real artist. But it's really hard to, yeah, to keep a really clear head about that yeah, and I not I wonder if that's the focus of social media too, like you brought it up. Because I read that post that you wrote and I was like, oh, I, I felt because I don't have a studio, studio, like I have a studio, but it's like a prop for a studio. Like I set it up for that award because mm -hmm. I'm like, they, they wanted me see me in a studio. Right. So I had set up like this whole prop that I never, ever like go into. <laughs> but when I read your post about that, I was like, oh. Right, the studio doesn't have to be an actual place, and so yeah. maybe like social media, like, can, is like really helpful sometimes mm. yeah. in connecting and talking about the stuff that you're talking about. Yeah. But, but you also organize. I mean, I was just wondering because that, to me, makes me think about you put into practice that extending that conversation by organizing, a sort of convenings and. and yeah, certainly, and those are the moments. Like those are other moments that it feels really fulfilling that I'm doing something with others and it's a lot of work and I often regret it the next day but those moments are really <laughs> fruitful and like again like more psychologically than anything that I'm having a healthy happy moment like I'm not beating myself for mm -hmm. being artist and artist or a professional but it's, yeah. it's fun. I think it's important that we're as generous to ourselves at times as we are with others, you know, yeah. especially around those questions of being fraudulent or an imposter, sure. not doing the work we should be doing or not being in the right place or knowing the right people or getting the right kind of accolades or getting the right kind of support for our work. You know, it's, I think that conversation with others, you know, if you heard a friend of yours say the things about themselves that you say about your own self and your own mind, you would certainly say to that friend, Oh, come on, yeah, you yeah, know, right. take a look at yourself, you know, you're wonderful, you're a generous person, you're a great artist, come on, you're very inspiring to others. But, you know, rarely do we turn that mm -hmm. on, our, on ourselves. Mm -hmm. And um, I think, you know, that kind of brings us back around to ideas around self-care and, and the particular ways in which artists need to have self-care or scholars or people that are doing this kind of production of new thought or new making um, and oftentimes going into areas that maybe they haven't experienced before, right? So for me as an artist, my main interest is doing things that I don't know, not doing things that I do know. So working in kind of areas of production or thought or interest or experience that are more what would be termed experimental. Um, and so with that kind of territory goes a lot of insecurity because you don't know what you're gonna find there. You don't know what the production is gonna be. Um, so within that, it's really important to trust yourself. And to, you know, there's certain things that you know about yourself especially as you get older. And so you can trust yourself in those ways or you could trust yourself to have a particular kind of process, right? I like to say that 
I haven't even started if I'm not procrastinating. You know, so there's there's sort of like thing there's stages that I have to go to in order to get somewhere, right? And so knowing yourself, knowing how you work, knowing your process, I think can really go a long way. Even those points of doubt, knowing when you're gonna be mm. doubtful or depressed totally. or have a come down yeah. or feel like poo-poo, you know, if you know those moments, then you can initiate self-care. Yeah, you yeah. know, whatever that looks like for you. Yeah, or like going into it. Like mm -hmm. I have a similar like process where every single time I have a breakdown, and then, you know, mm -hmm. and I, I used to fight it. And then like Dan was like, no, this is what you do every time. And so then I was able to kind of just like let it kind of happen, knowing that this is... We're ants. Yeah, just, We're just a bunch what I have ants. to do yeah. <laughs> in this process of making work. Mm -hmm. I have a couple of people that I call that have oh, known me nice. for who are artists and who have known me since undergrad and we stay in touch, mm. and they know, they accept the call, and then I go, man, I feel like, shit. you know, this is what's happening, and of course, they will go, you're, cr you're crazy. <laughs> 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 and that really, really helps. I remember having a, a call, like, I hadn't made anything in two months, and uh, a good friend of mine is Carrie Mae Weems, and Carrie Mae said, darling, the fact that you're on this call <laughs> says that you care, <laughs> and that's just, this is part of your, like Nam just said, this is part of your process. Mm -hmm. Believe me, she goes, you don't get, I'm, mm -hmm. you've been doing it too long. Just, just you know, let that go. But we need those relationships. And it's, it doesn't have to be a zillion. It could just be one or two. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I, wanted, I also want to say that I'm involved. Uh, Kyung Mi Shen, my partner and I were, uh, uh, we have a, a a building in Inglewood, uh, and there's like a couple studio spaces, and one of them uh, is this group called Zill, and it's an incubator for black artists in South LA. And so it, it's uh, limited residencies for black artists to work out ideas and things like that. And that they approached me and said, hey, can we use a space like this? And we said, yeah, this is great. So that idea of just being involved in a community mm -hmm. and we have a place in Ghana for, that we've had for 14 years, and we've opened that up as a residency. Um, Nicole Hebron has been there, April Bay, uh, uh, Contour Davis, mm -hmm. and so it's just really nice. So, like, there are resources that resources that we're privileged enough to have, we've opened up and shared, and that, and we know that we're affecting people's uh, uh, making, mm -hmm. and that's 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 super fulfilling. That's great. Absolutely. That's great. I have a small studio, and my studio hosts a writing group that I'm not part of. And a friend of mine said in the group, they said, "Oh, we're going to have a reading. Can you come as the as the patroness of the group?" <laughs> I said, "Oh, I didn't realize that I was the, the patron of the group, the patroness of the group." And they said, "Well, we meet in your studio every week, and we don't pay you anything." I thought, oh yeah, I guess that's, yeah, okay. Um, I couldn't go, unfortunately, but I mean, I think there's so many ways in which probably all of us are making these small gestures, and in your case, large gestures, you know, of, uh, you know, this wonderful residency, but also there's just the small kindnesses mm -hmm. that we can do for each other and other artists, just knowing how hard it is, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. knowing what a struggle it is, yeah. you know? I mean, we were talking at the break, you're doing so much like institutional work, mm -hmm. you know, that's like a huge amount of work that you're advocating for students. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I think if you're clear, like you said about your core principles, 
and particularly related to your job, you know, like what are the things that you want to stay focused on? Um, then I think eventually people, they, they kind of get bored of hearing it, but I think also they, maybe at some point it can go on the top of the list mm -hmm. if they hear it yeah. enough. Yeah, right? yeah, sometimes. I, I know sometimes for me, I have to hear things a hundred times before I actually hear it. <laughs> <laughs> like, oh. <laughs> yeah, caring is sharing. <laughs> <laughs> but is sharing caring? <laughs> oh. <laughs> Wait a minute. <laughs> yeah, the representation, right? <laughs> Ooh, now in the house. <laughs> yeah. Well, I like that, being able to talk about creating supportive conditions and not leaving yourself out of that. Because mm. I think that that's often what happens, the self-sufficiency that we tend to operate under mm -hmm. in an art world setting. Mm -hmm. um, so we are almost at time. I said we were gonna stop around 40 minutes, so it's almost a quarter till. Any closing comment or thought or well, I just, I was just thinking, this isn't exactly a wrap up, but I was thinking, um, I often refer to myself as a kitchen table artist because, you know, even though I have access to a studio and office and other spaces, I often just find myself sitting at the kitchen table with a bunch of stuff around me and, you know, drinking coffee and munching on something. And it also made me think about, in terms of the self-care, how it's so much easier to cook for other people mm -hmm. than it is to cook for myself. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, I just want to encourage everyone out there to cook for themselves <laughs> <laughs> at some point. You know, as a, as a, I want to encourage myself too, darn it, I'm yeah. a good cook. I'm the worst, <laughs> I hate cooking. <laughs> you hate cooking? Yeah, you can well, cook for me. Okay, I'll cook for you. <laughs> It's almost uh, like cooking for yourself. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, I'll have leftovers. Okay, we can do exchange. I can clean. Oh, clean. perfect. <laughs> I love it. I did cover most of those things, but one thing I wanted to add was f this idea of th uh, fear. Fear is what keeps blocking me. And when you asked uh, when I, how do I know something is authentic or how do I know something really hits, I, I can't uh, remember exactly now, uh, mm -hmm. but uh, one of the things I ask myself is what am I fearing? Fear ultimately comes in to the uh, uh, equation when I'm resisting something. And once I can articulate what that fear is, uh, it, it's really helpful. And so I use fear as a uh, compass, as a way to check my head, to check what's happening, and as a, that layer peel, because it ultimately is fear. So is it fear of acceptance? Is it fear of success? I mean, you know, fear of success. Mm -hmm. Is it fear, there's so, so many different fears that come up. And then is it fear that uh, it's gonna be shitty art? Is it fear that this idea won't be received well? Is it fear because I'm black, ultimately there, people aren't going to respect the work as much because I don't come from the white canon? You know, there's just so many layers. And then once I touch on that fear, I can get closer to who I am and how I've been influenced by the culture uh, through colonial um, uh, strategies and, and so forth. So uh, that's what I just want to put out there is to really question your fear and see what it is and embrace it because, damn, it's, it's, fear is a lesson. Mm -hmm. it's, it's really a great teacher. Yeah, totally. fear is a great teacher. Yeah, befriending fear. Thanks for that. Mm -hmm.
false evidence appearing real. False evidence appearing real. <laughs> oh, I didn't, I didn't F-E-A-R? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Yeah. I didn't make that up. <laughs> Was I just Scrooged? <laughs> <laughs> Last word? Sure. <laughs> I had something, but then I forgot. Oh, I thought it was only the 65-year-old that does that. <laughs> <laughs> don't remember. Oh, we didn't get very LA-specific. Mm. Maybe oh. that was good, though. Mm. Mm-hmm. Is there anything yeah. in particular to the LA artist experience that you all want to share? I would be curious. I mean, housing came up a lot. I did the, that naval assembly and redistribute wealth, and it was just in general, mm-hmm. like, redistribute wealth. And mm-hmm. then from the, the people who were a part of it, it became about housing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. How, yeah. Started our conversation before you all arrived, talking about the changes in this neighborhood. Mm-hmm. Um, I was just editing an essay last night, and the writer quotes a theorist that talked about the importance of being homeless and I thought, well, you have to edit that out because that's such a real crisis today that that just sounds so poetic. And I understand at the core what that writer, the theorist was saying, but in a world that's not welcoming refugees and asylum seekers mm-hmm. and in a time of housing crisis and homelessness, that just can't be a closing yeah, comment. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So I don't even understand it in a way at its core. Like I know that there's like these... And I think this is maybe a place that I can empower myself in the coming year and maybe other artists can too as a way of exercising a kind of agency, like understanding where all these things, how all all these things have come about, like this lack of housing, this shortage of housing or shortage of affordable housing. And, you know, like, where does this all come from? Is it just from the space of investment, you know, and people parking their money in a certain sector? Like, I'm not exactly sure, but, you know, maybe that's a way that we can empower ourselves to do something or come together in a way for making change. Because I think in L.A. there's so many different activist communities, and I'm really grateful for that, for all the people who are informed and who are out in the world trying to um, affect change for the better in in the city, in our city. But I wonder... You know, because the space of the artist, the spectra of the artist is so important to the identity of Los Angeles. So I wonder if there's a way that as a group we could also affect the political landscape mm. or the economic landscape, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. the social landscape. Yeah. Hmm. And I'm looking to you, Jennifer. Because I need you to just tell me what to do. Let's <laughs> <laughs> screw <laughs> someone. Come on, be fun. <laughs> yeah. I, is there is there a place we can go to sign up for Scrooging? I mean, you know, can the lis- can listeners sign up somewhere? Or oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Should I mean, they contact you directly? Yeah, yeah. Contact me directly. Or you can also come to Process Group, which is like this, like it's like group therapy. It happens every other Sunday. Oh, you're still doing yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Every other Sunday at Widgets, at Veronique's and Kim's place that they manage, um, six to eight this Sunday actually.
this Sunday. So every other Sunday on which Sunday? I would be the one who shows up every other Sunday the wrong Sunday. Yeah, I send out an e <laughs> I send out an email like the week before or like the Wednesday before each Sunday. Okay. Um, and there's like if you want to, I guess you can email me <laughs> if you want to be added to the process group, Google group. There you go. It's like a yeah, but yeah, we, that's a place also to talk about. Yeah, and I just like the that that place that you know that everyone's been talking about, you know, the DIY or the, you know, do it for each other, do it with each other space of, you know, can, you know, like you're having this process group. Well, I would, I mean, I'm going to come and I hope you guys are actually doing something. Okay, wait. Besides processing. Okay, no, don't don't come then. That's just like a, that's just like a, a that is like a group therapy processing feelings, like processing, <laughs> you know, like shame and all this, and yeah. also stuff like we're talking about right now. But if you want to do like actual like organizing thing, yeah. I, maybe like that, that naval assembly would have. Something along those lines. Yeah, yeah. 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 Okay. We were thinking about like how to, th it got to a point where we're talking about like co-housing, co co-owning buying up like trust lands and like mm. building and like how to get you know that's kind of how it ended um so there is like a group i but we haven't met since really like there was a dinner after the assembly was over but we haven't met since then but it could re reconstitute yeah yeah mm. i think a good group to get scourged would be really um, artists who are participating quite actively in in the market, um, because a they, I mean, we all have this background that's based on I, I would think on on socialist values or Marxist values, or, or, or so. The, well, I'll just say this: the postmodern, and hopefully we've all pierced that myth of the artist being singular, alone, and. Uh, and, and, and has, having gifts that no one else has of, of genius and so forth. Uh, and I, I, it makes me think of the, uh, the dealers uh, who are making so much money uh, in, uh, that they are saying, oh wow, all of these small galleries are being squeezed off because the really the, they're, we're scooping up the, the young successful artists and they're going to mega galleries. And but we actually need these young galleries as incubators. It's part of how the system functions. Mm -hmm. And they're saying, oh my God, we, we've created a cancer. So they have made uh, entering art fairs, they're actually uh, underwriting some of the art fair uh, costs for young galleries so that they can afford to get in because they see it's in their benefit to help. And so it's, it would be great if uh, some of these uh, art, artists in the market maybe would get together, talk about perhaps how it's possible to get a building or sign a master lease for a building that can help others and, and, mm -hmm. and so forth to keep the vitality going. And then who knows how that ripple effect might, might go out. Because yeah, I know we're like herding cats, artists are, mm -hmm. but uh, perhaps this is, this is a good opportunity for Scroogey. Yeah. Those big galleries who are supporting the smaller, like, artists from space, the smaller galleries, what do they get out of it? Or, like, what's... Well, well, they understand if you don't have small galleries, then a lot of their, then there's not opportunities for young artists to exhibit. And you, there's actually a stepping stone process. Uh -huh. so, so, so they eventually want to get those artists, like, take them away from the small... Right, like, but these them. plants have to grow uh -huh. somewhere. If yeah, you just, they, like, and before they deforest uh -huh. them... See, that's there like, will be no balance in the ecology. 
Well, thank you, everybody, very much. Do we do thank one? Do we do one, one, one last pinky? <laughs> one last pinky touch. <laughs> thank you so much. Thanks, thank you. Thank you for listening. If you want to learn more about the artists or join in the conversation, visit extraonline.org or find us on Instagram. This series was made possible by generous support from California Arts Council, Art and Media Public. This series was made possible by generous support from California Arts Council, Arts and Public Media Grant, the Michael Asher Foundation, and KCET's Artbound. Recorded at Catasonic Studios and Echo Park by Mark Wheaton. Thank you to Shaolin Dub for our theme song and production assistance from Sarah Fowler and Kara Hart.